what's on display. That's something that Paul talks about in the passage we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first 16 verses. But as a preface to that, on my early morning walk yesterday, uh, I was seeing something from a distance and I looked at it and I thought, oh, is that somebody's grandma in the back seat? Did they show up early in the morning to visit and she's trying to socially distance and she's just waiting out in the back? So I took a few steps closer and you feel silly because you're afraid that if there's a real person in there and you're just walking up to them, they're going to be looking at you like, why are you walking up to me? And then I thought, oh, well, it's stationary. Maybe it's one of those sunscreens that people buy that has silk screened picture or something on it to keep the sun off of the child seat in the back of the car or something. And I thought, no, this person's wearing a hat. They're pretty dressed up. This has got to be a picture. And then I got closer <laughs> and I realized, oh, it's just Queen Elizabeth II <laughs> on the 4th of July, of course. Maybe somebody's visiting from the UK, you know, hello to our UK friends. Maybe it was somebody thinking that if this democracy doesn't go well, uh, we could go back over and say, yeah, we need a monarch. <laughs> I don't know. But I got a big kick out of that because clearly somebody was displaying something by putting that in their back window. Also on my walk yesterday, I saw many displays similar to this one on different people's homes as they were displaying the flag in different forms. This one has an eagle up there. I think you can see it under the tree there next to a little birdhouse and then uh, some pretty colors. Some people actually even had one, one person had a red, white and blue car all parked in front of their house. I thought, man, they spent a lot of money just to put that on display. God's wisdom is on display. And that's exactly what Dr. Pike was talking about when he said, sometimes we miss the best kinds or the most important kinds of display. That's what Paul was about. That's what he was trying to get across to these believers in Corinth in his letter. They need to be putting on display the glory that God gives and reflects through us to others so that we can reflect it right back up to him again. God's wisdom is on display and he's telling them, it's not because you came up with this on your own. You can't come up with this kind of spiritual wisdom. Human intellect and empirical science, none of that stuff can get you to this point. It's only because of what the Holy Spirit does in your life that you can have spiritual wisdom. So that's what we're going to look at today. Spiritual wisdom revealed to us by the Spirit. Listen to me as I read this passage. I'm reading most of it from the NIV, but when I get to that quote from Isaiah, I've chosen the NLT because it just makes more sense in English. And so it was with me, says Paul, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And some manuscripts translate it this way, as I proclaimed to you God's mystery. That's an important word, and we'll look at that. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, or if they had, they would not have crucified 
the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, and this is where Paul sort of paraphrases, it's a little different than it shows up in the original from Isaiah 64.4. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that something? We can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. That's quite a statement. And then he goes on in verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So what we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. I like this other translation, which makes sense, too. It says, not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Uh, it kind of harkens back to me about something Jesus said when he would give a parable and he would say, let those who have ears to hear listen. If we're open to the Spirit, the Spirit will speak into our life. And then verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For, and again, he's quoting from Isaiah 40, 13, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, says Paul. Now, last week, in the first portion of Paul's letter, we were talking about some of the difference between people who had blinders on, so to speak. They couldn't see the power of God displayed, even though it was on display very obviously. They thought that the gospel was foolish, this message that Paul was preaching, that Christ had come, he was the fulfillment of all the prophecies, that he is the Messiah, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, he rose three days later and appeared to many witnesses. That's the gospel. That's the central message of Paul, and he never wavered from that message. But he says there are many people who hear that message, and they think it's foolishness. And yet there are other people that when their eyes are opened, just as Paul's was on the road to Damascus, suddenly it becomes the power of God unto salvation. So that's what we're picking up on as we lead into this passage that I've just read in the first portion of chapter two of 1 Corinthians. Corinth, as we mentioned last week, was an awful lot like our culture. He's writing to a whole bunch of people in a culture that mirrors our own in many ways. There were people back then who were experiencing existential angst. They were fretting about the brevity of life. They had seen wars and rumors of wars. They had seen plagues and pandemics, probably. There were some things a little different than we might think of today, but when you start reading back into their history, you can understand that there were things all through the Old Testament that caused them a great deal of fear. They wrestled with the problem of evil. They scoffed at the hypocrisy that was so blatant among them, especially from self-righteous people who had built themselves up and should have known better because they had the Old Testament at their disposal. They experienced political game-playing, posturing, 
finger pointing, scapegoating, and seemingly senseless decrees from rulers who really weren't interested in serving the people, but had more interest in serving themselves. And yet, Paul, who was speaking to a people in that culture, urged these believers to stay rooted, to stay grounded, to stay put on the grassroots gospel which he shared with them the first time he was there and upon which their faith was based. They were urged to remain rooted to the foundation of their faith, not based on human wisdom, as we've just heard, but based on what was revealed through the Spirit, because that's how we discern spiritual wisdom. I loved what this writer, she's a creative writer named Debbie Thomas, poetically stated. She said, the reason I stay, meaning I stay with the Lord and stay rooted to the gospel, is because Jesus is my rootedness, my air, my water, the dark and frozen ground in which I wait to crack open, die, and sprout, and then flourish. I stay because childhood ends, but childhood hungers do not. Because the psalmist got it right when he said, I was cast on you from birth. Because Peter got it even righter when he said, Lord, if I left, to whom would I go? And knowing that we must stay put on the gospel with our roots deep down into the living water, which for us, of course, we know can also have to do with the word. Our roots are deep down into God's word where we get the nourishment and everything we need for life. That's what he was trying to urge these believers in Corinth to do. And that's where they first started to put down their roots. And they had apparently started to listen to some other teachings. And that was troubling to Paul. And so he wanted to make sure he was correcting things so that they didn't slide away from what they knew was the firm foundation of their faith, which is that simple gospel. Simple but profound. Well, God's mystery, as we thought about that word when he said it earlier on, God's mystery was not revealed, as Paul says, through human wisdom or eloquent speech. He was clear to, to make sure that they understood. It was not because he was a knowledgeable man. He would have been a man that would have been sort of pedigreed, like we would think of somebody today, Harvard or Yale. It was that kind of background that would have allowed Paul to say, yes, I'm a great debater, and I can debate somebody right under the table. That's not how he did that. He says, in fact, I came to you with trembling. I was fearful. I wanted to make sure that I knew nothing except Christ and him crucified. He stayed really central in his focus on Jesus Christ. That's how changed he had become when he encountered Christ, because he used to be completely on the other, other side. The most important aspect of this mystery of Jesus is this Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. Paul kept coming back to the cross. Every time he was trying to urge people to remain rooted, he kept talking about the cross. That's probably why we have so many songs in Christian culture or subculture about the cross. It's got to remain central in the gospel, and Paul knew that. And so he kept hammering away at the cross of Christ. So you keep using that word. What exactly is this mystery that you keep talking about? It's good for us to unpack that for a minute because we may hear that and we think, wait a minute, what is Paul talking about when he talks about the mystery? Well, let me use an example to start uh, talking about that just a little bit. My wife went shopping just a few days ago, uh, grocery store. She was looking for a very specific product and she was in the right area at the right shelf 
but she just couldn't find that specific product. So there was an employee that was walking by and she said, uh, could you help me find product X? And apparently English was not his original native tongue. <laughs> and he said, it's right in front of your eyes, lift up your chin. Now, I'm sorry for a bad accent. I don't even know where he was from. She was second handing me this story. So I, I'm sorry if I offended anybody. I know people get so offended about everything these days. <laughs> But anyway, uh, he was basically saying what some of us might have taken offense at because he was kind of direct. Some people might have said blunt even, you know, right in front of your eyes. Well, I wouldn't say that to somebody. I'd say, oh, yes, you're in the, you're getting warm. It's right here. And I would point to it. But he said, no, it's right in front of your eyes. Lift up your chin. That was just a direct way of saying it. He was answering a simple question simply. And Joy accepted it for that. It was nice. But the reason I say that this way is that some people got really offended at Paul for being rather direct about the gospel. They would think, can't you be a little more diplomatic, Paul, instead of saying things like, hey, Jesus came, he died in your place, you sinners need to repent. You know, Peter had the same kind of thing when he was giving his big talk, and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, and he was saying, and you Jews crucified him. It's pretty blunt. Sometimes the gospel feels that way to people who are on the other side of that gospel looking in at it and they think, well, who are you to tell me that? And yet there's a mystery that needed to be revealed. And Paul was about to say, and it has been. It's a mystery that was foretold through the ages, through the prophets. And we know now who that mystery is. The mystery is in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's been revealed to all of us now. His aim was that those he taught would know the mystery of God, namely Christ. He says so in Colossians. He makes that pretty clear to us. So when we think about what he's writing to the people in Corinth, we can look elsewhere and find out that, yes, he's referring to Jesus Christ when he's talking about the mystery revealed. Paul is saying, in a sense, that it's the Holy Spirit who comes along to us and puts that gentle hand under our chin and just lifts our heads. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Can I get an amen? All right. From his letter to Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus, the Ephesians, this mystery was God's plan. And God chose to wait until the time was right, or as it says in that scripture in one translation, when the times reached their fulfillment. I like that term fulfillment. To reveal the Redeemer, namely Jesus Christ. Everything was fulfilled. That's why I like that word so well there. Rather than saying when the time was right, well, right about what? Right about fulfilling every single one of those prophecies that came true in the person of Jesus so that the mystery had become revealed. Jesus knew the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, revealing the mystery to us. He knew about that. He knew about it personally. He had one. He had an aha moment on the road to Damascus when he had been persecuting everybody who was following Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, he tells a story in Acts, not, well, Luke tells a story in Acts 9, and then Paul recounts his own testimony in Acts 22 and Acts 26. It was a big aha moment. He was blinded. He saw a great light. He heard a voice. He understands now who the voice was. He's going, why are you persecuting me, man? <laughs> Come on, dude. And so, Paul is sent to a person who helps him understand what's going on. I think it's great to know that it took other people in the body of Christ to help him, help him interpret what that experience meant to him. That's what happens with a lot of us. Sometimes we have something happen to us, but we're not sure what to do with it next. Go speak to a fellow believer. Talk to somebody about what God has been speaking to you about or, or what you think 
you're perceiving that might be from God and see if it's affirmed through other believers. And it took the spirit to lift Paul's chin. It was a pretty mega experience for him. It was a big deal. But when his chin got lifted and he saw what had been right in front of his eyes, literally, man, he became a believer and one of the greatest spokespersons for the gospel ever. Interesting side note. Uh, for those of you who might have been asking, and I've caught myself saying this in previous sermons, not that long ago, in fact, Saul became Paul after his conversion. I've been wrong about that. I know it's hard to imagine that I could have been wrong, but it's true. Did Saul change his name to Paul, or was that something Jesus did in that aha moment? Did Jesus say, I now proclaim that you will no longer be Saul, you will be Paul? No, it didn't happen that way. Actually, he went by two names, something that was pretty common back then. We hear a lot of the people in the Bible, and they'll actually refer to them by two different names. For example, Cephas and Peter, two different languages there, or John Mark, maybe like a first and middle name. When people call me by my first and middle name, I know I'm in trouble. You've probably been through that too. But Paul was known as Saul and by Paul, depending on which people he was speaking with, and that had been the case all along. So there you go. Acts 13.9, we get it definitively, but Saul... <laughs> who was also called Paul, duh, there we have it. Okay, now you know. It's a little bit like this. I've used this as an illustration before. It's all analogies fall short because they're only analogies. It's like we're trying to find some things that this is a little bit like so we can get a better idea, but it's never the same as saying, and I can describe exactly what this is like because you can't unless you've experienced it. I can't describe specifically what Paul experienced because it only happened to Paul, and it was a big deal for him. But I can describe to you what my conversion was like, and I can describe it in detail, because it's my story, and it happened to me, and it was a big deal. But it's a little bit like this. It's like when you put on those little 3D glasses, one blue, one green, maybe it's one red, anyway, two different colors, and what it does is filter out certain other light rays so that one eye is picking up on one image projected on the screen, and because there are actually two images being projected on the screen at the same time, your other eye perceives that other image, and then it perceives depth because of those images and where they are in conjunction with one another, and so that your brain interprets that as being three-dimensional. And I've used this before as an illustration because I think it's apt, and it's a little bit what Paul was talking about as I mentioned last week, when other people are looking in at we crazy Christians, we people who have the Holy Spirit revealing truth, giving us these aha moments, when we see us reacting to certain things in certain ways, it's like, whoa, they see us doing that. They're not having the same reaction. And they're looking at, at us like, okay, you guys are really wound tight or you've had way too much coffee. No more coffee for you today. <laughs> But until they've actually experienced what we've experienced with the Holy Spirit revealing the revelation of the mystery who is Jesus Christ, when we have that aha moment, then all of a sudden we're starting to go, oh, I see what they were seeing. It makes sense now. I get it. That was Paul. And that's what so many other, literally millions of believers understand once they've taken that step over the line of faith and they've chosen to trust Jesus Christ and open themselves up open their ears to the Holy Spirit's teaching so that they can discern spiritual wisdom as apart from the world's wisdom. All analogies fall short. That was Paul's point. That was basically what he's trying to do, which sounds like he's kind of going back around and he's circling back around to some of his main points again. That's kind of Paul's style, his writing style. 
But I like that because sometimes we need reminders. And he's saying, the mystery is only solved. God's spirit makes it jump out at you. It's only solved because of God at work. That's the only way we can all be saved is because God's in the midst of that process. None of us can save ourselves. That's what's so wrong about other worldviews that have to do with us either discovering the truth about ourselves, self-discovery, or pulling ourselves up from some moral bootstrap. We can't do it. That was Paul's point. It's only because God is involved in our salvation process. His spirit reveals truth. He forgives us when we ask, when we repent, and we ask him for forgiveness. He's the one who forgives it. It's God. It's all God. The whole gospel is all about God. It's not about us. So we have this spirit, this pneuma in the Greek, means air or wind or breath. Can you see your breath? Technically, no. It's invisible. However, if the temperature outside is cold enough, it condenses into little water droplets, and it kind of looks like steam or whatever. So you can sort of see your breath in that case, but it's actually because it's been transformed into another form. Or if you breathe on a mirror, then you can see that too, because there's this condensation that's going on. So no, we can't actually see our breath, but we can see the effects of our breath. And that's kind of Paul's point as well. Billy Graham picked up on that, on that famous quote, when he would say, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effect of the wind. And the apostle Paul is saying to us, my message, my preaching to you in Corinth, see, it's not because of my wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, and how true that is. I saw the effect of the pneuma as I was pondering this. I was out meditating on what I had read earlier, a couple of days ago on my morning walk, and I stopped at a pond, and I looked down there and saw a few bubbles coming up close to the shore. It was a shallow area. There were enough bubbles to make me think, hmm, I think that's air bubbles from some living creature down under there, because I don't think that would be swamp gas or seaweed decomposing or some crazy thing like that. And I said, I'm just going to watch this and see what happens. And then in just about 30 seconds, I saw more ripples that were bigger ripples in the surface of that water. And I thought, oh yeah, there's something moving to make that happen. I'm guessing a turtle, but it never really raised its head. So I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing based on the evidence that there was something alive down there and that it wasn't just biological matter. Uh, in terms of a plant life. I think there was something living in, and that has breath, the pneuma. Here's the thing. Paul says there's evidence. And this is something that you've heard me say again and again, and I probably sound like a broken record, but I still think it's true. There's evidence for our faith. It's not crazy for somebody to take a step of faith and trust in Christ because there's abundant evidence. And Paul is saying to us through what he's written to the people in Corinth that there's evidence in the changed lives of people who have been filled with that pneuma. The changed outward behavior of the inward transformation should be enough evidence for you to say, yeah, wasn't he the guy that was persecuting us? And now look at him. He's defending the faith. That's a pretty big evidence even right there because the Spirit made that happen. For I decided, he says, that while I was with you, I would forget. Isn't that interesting? I decided to forget. I find that fascinating. And I think that's part of what happens in the forgiveness process, by the way. And I think he had to forgive himself of a lot of the things that plagued him. I decided 
to forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Are you plagued by some of your past? Are you plagued with guilt, sometimes with shame? Sometimes you'll see somebody that you know that you've had a difficult time with in the past, and you think, oh, man, I sure wish I could get past that. You can. You can decide to forget. You can put your past behind you, leave it in the past, and say, from this day forward, I'm going to choose to concentrate on the new me, the new creation in Christ that God has allowed because of his Holy Spirit, the new mob breathing new life into me. I'm a new creation. I don't have to go back there anymore. I don't have to live in the past. I'm pressing on, looking forward, taking hold of the prize before me, who is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? All right. Paul put his past in his past. He focused on the evidence that the Spirit used to lift his chin. When you see evidence, especially in God's Word, and all of a sudden you have that aha, that yes, that's resonating in your spirit, that's the same wavelength as the Holy Spirit, there's that confirmation. That's how God can just speak to us when we have that collective yes, and your soul just wants to say, yes, I get it, yes, yes, yes. Or Pastor Mike, uh, yes, 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 where the power was. I came to you in weakness. Paul says, it wasn't in my strengths that you found this gospel. I was timid. I was trembling. I got to tell you, folks, as a preacher who's been doing this a while, I still am very timid. And I come to the word with trembling because I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> And I know that I'm not capable of completely revealing everything there is to know about God. That's why I need the Spirit's power to reveal truth from His Word, because you're not going to get it from a human wisdom. It's only because of the Word growing through the Spirit's illumination into your heart. Paul knew that he could not fully explain God. He knew that. If we could fully explain God, we'd be God. And I don't know enough about God. I know that his ways are so much higher than my ways. So all I can do is just camp out on that wonderful, simple, profound gospel. Jesus and his crucifixion on our behalf, the atoning work on the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He appeared to witnesses. He ascended to be with the Father in heaven. And he is my Lord and Savior. Plain preaching. That's the gospel. That's what we're trying to share when we share hope. He says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. I read just this week, three days ago, about a pastor who was over in Virginia. He was in Norfolk. And he ran into a guy in a store after having seen him 10 years earlier. 10 years didn't even recognize the guy at first. You know, that's, all, that's embarrassing when a pastor runs into somebody that's been in your church and they say, oh, hi, pastor. And you're going, hi. <laughs> and you're searching quickly. Hopefully they can see that terrified look on your face and they say, oh, I'm so-and-so. And then they save the day. But some of them just like to make you sweat. But this guy was nice. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sure you probably wouldn't remember me. It was 10 years ago, but I was in your service. And I got, I've been wanting to thank you. I'm so glad I ran into you. And the pastor said, oh, really? Well, what for? The guy said, I was in your church at a time that was really difficult for me. At the time I attended, I was facing jail time for tax evasion. And in order to self-medicate and try to forget my troubles, I had turned to the bottle and I was drinking heavily at that time. That didn't help. 
It didn't help my marriage. It didn't help my job. It was a rough time. And I came to your church service on that particular day, and he named the month. And he said, you preached a sermon about how God works with us, but he expects us to take responsibility for our own actions, and that the Holy Spirit reveals to us what we need to do in order to take responsibility. He said, that really spoke to me. I went home that day, that afternoon, I got on my knees, and I begged the Lord to help me see the truth and to take responsibility for my own actions. And everything started changing. Everything, everything changed after that one sermon. He said, I started dealing with the IRS. I started working out a deal with them to pay back everything I owed because I had been wrong. The Holy Spirit revealed that to me. That was the truth. I needed to own up to that. I paid them back. I didn't have to go to jail. My marriage improved. I went and got help with AA, got the support I needed. I quit drinking, been clean and sober now for years. And he said, that all started with your sermon. He said, I'm so grateful for that. And the pastor was just dumbfounded. And he went home from that wonderful, encouraging time with that guy. And he said, I keep all my sermons. This is back when we had these things called file cabinets. <laughs> and I went to the file cabinet. And because he had told me which month, and I knew it was 10 years ago, and I looked up that sermon. And he said, I used to write notes on the tops of my sermons. And it would be things like, this illustration worked really well. You know, use it again sometime, or whatever the notes might be. And he said, you know what I wrote at the top of that sermon? I wrote, dead in the water. This was a stinker. Worthless. Nobody listened. That's what he had written at the top of that message. <laughs> and Paul says, simple preaching. It's the Holy Spirit that lifts your chin and says it was right in front of you all along. It's not persuasive speech. It's the gospel. And it's the spirit that reveals the gospel. The spirit is doing that to you right now. If you're having a yes in your spirit, it's not because of me. It's because the Holy Spirit is resounding and vibrating in the same frequency with your spirit and saying, this is true. You can trust when the Holy Spirit reveals something to you about Christ. It's real and it's true. That's not me speaking. That's the spirit. Here's a word of encouragement. You can give God what you've got because he's the one who wired you that way. You can use your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your experience, your passions, everything that is the way you are. It's because God made you that way. You can use that to share hope and to share the gospel, to reach, recognize everyone and communicate hope. We need to reach together. Man, do we need to reach now more than ever. Our world is in desperate need of hope, and they need Christ. Christ is the only answer, folks. We need to be in prayer for our nation, and we need to be reaching. So use what you've got. God kept telling me, I think it was from a former sermon years ago when I was at the previous church before I came to Living Water, when I was on that walk a month ago, and I was praying, God, give me a vision for what we can do to help our folks reach and to get involved and to know it's for everybody. It's not just for the hired holy guy. It's not just for the elders. It's for all of us. And he just, I kept hearing that voice. It was my own voice from a sermon from years ago, but it was God speaking to me through the Spirit saying, what have you got in your hand? Give that to me. And what I had in my hand was my trombone. It was a song. I had been sensing that I needed to give him another song, and that's what started this whole ball rolling because I went home, did a walk-in closet production of Oh, When the Saints. We got our virtual band involved. You got to see the 
uh, premiere of that song this morning. It's going to be coming live at 12 o'clock today. You can share the fire out of that dude. And it brought me to the idea that if we'll give him what we got, even if it seems really paltry, even if it seems at times silly, and if I think, should I really share this? I don't even think that anybody's going to know anything about this. Share it. Folks, just share it. <laughs> give what you've got. If it's from God, he's going to use it, and he may not even use it immediately. Like that pastor took 10 years before he saw that his message, which he called a stinker, actually spoke to somebody because of the Holy Spirit lifting that guy's chin. True story. I had felt really strongly prompted in my spirit to reach out to a friend of mine. I've shared his story before several years ago, his testimony. He had made it to the highest levels of leadership as a law enforcement officer. He made it to the captain and then commander level in the Phoenix PD. Uh, very difficult position. Uh, I'm sure that he saw things that would just curl your toenails. And it was something that struck me when I met him several years ago and I went there to visit my mom when she was still alive to check in on her. And we met for coffee, Steve and I. And Steve told me his story. It was remarkable. And I could tell that the Holy Spirit had really reached into his heart and transformed him. And he said, I can't believe I'm saying this now, but I can't wait to get together with fellow believers in our small group. We're hosting a small group tonight, in fact, which is why I have to leave in 15 minutes. because so I got to help my wife get the house organized for that. And he said, but Christ has made such a difference in my life that I just can't help but want to share him with other people. And that was not the Steve that I knew in high school. He's a different guy. It was like night and day difference, like Saul and Paul. So I decided I was going to reach out to him. And I said, in a message to him, I said, you don't have to respond to me. I know you're busy, but I just wanted you to know that you've been on my mind all week. And I've been praying for you every time you come to mind. And I don't know why. I just feel like I needed to pray for you. And I wanted you to know that your story really impacted me. It really ministered to me. It, it has stuck with me. And I've remembered it. And I've actually even shared your testimony with my congregation in the past. And I think it's going to be a blessing to many. So thank you for sharing that testimony with me. And I just pray that you're okay. I didn't hear back from him. I didn't expect to. And I told him he didn't have to. Just last week, four years after I had sent that message, I was contacted by him through a message. And he sent a YouTube video of a beautiful duet because he had been a saxophone player. He knew I was a trombone player. And there was some beautiful music. And he knew that I would probably appreciate it. And it, it was just to let me know that he was thinking of me four years later. And I thought, oh, man, God, you're so good. And it was at a time when I was feeling some of the oppression and the weight of all the negative events that were happening all around us in this nation. I needed that. I needed that little encouraging word from a guy that I hadn't had contact with in over four years. That's pretty remarkable. So, folks, here's the thing. If you feel prompted in any way by the Holy Spirit, put it out there. Give something through Sack Lunch Saints and just put it out there by faith and say, God, I'm giving it to you as a gift. Use it how you will. I may never know how you use it, and that's okay. I'm going to do this as a faith act. And so by faith, I give you what I have in my hand. I give you something based on the way you shaped me. Please use it for your kingdom's glory. Folks, I'm convinced. I am so spirit-filled with this idea that it's the same spirit power that will lift people's chins 
and show them what's right in front of their eyes if the whole body gets involved, not just me, not just the elders, the whole body. We need all of you to start sharing your faith. We need to reach now more than ever. And then the verses six through eight, I'm gonna march quickly through the rest of this. The wisdom Paul talks about isn't the world's wisdom. He reiterates that again. He says, if the rulers in Jesus' day had understood that, they would not have killed or crucified Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says, we can't understand what God is like through human intellect. We can't through empirical reasoning, as some people are suggesting that we might be able to do today. I love this African saying, when we read something about God and we understand, man, I can't fully comprehend it, but I want to accept it. An African saying says, it's too wonderful for me. That's a way of saying, it's too wonderful. I can't completely comprehend it, but I absolutely trust it. That's the kind of faith Paul is asking them to rely on. That's the faith that I would beg you to employ if you've been questioning, should I take that step of faith? Yes. Yes, take the step of faith. Even if it's too wonderful for you to comprehend, just say it's too wonderful for me to completely understand. I can't comprehend God. He's too big for me, but I accept him. I accept because the Spirit is giving me a yes in my spirit. Yes, I trust you, Jesus. Yes, I want more of you. I want to look into your word. I want to learn more about you. I want to hang out with other believers because they're doing the same thing. I want to cross over from death to life. Yes, I want to say yes to you. Only the Spirit who reveals spiritual things to people, open to the Spirit, can bring us understanding. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's kind of a bad news, good news. If you say, okay, well, we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. So the bad news about this gospel is you can't reason your way there. You just can't. But the good news is you can get there because God gets you there. God offers his spirit freely. The spirit is what you need. And all you have to do is open yourself to that by repenting and saying, yeah, I've been blind and I've caused my own blindness because I have not wanted to see it. Now that the spirit is revealing truth to me and he's lifting my chin and I'm seeing what's right there in front of me, I want more of that. I open myself up to God. I hold my cup up, fill it up with yourself, Lord. What about you? Have you seen the effects, the pneuma, the wind, the breath, the bubbles in the pond, everything that it's a changed life from believers? Have you seen enough evidence from this transformation in other people to say, yeah, they couldn't have done that by themselves. Something else is going on there. There's something more powerful than I can explain going on in the life of that person, but I can see the effect. It's right there in front of you. Folks, it's right there in front of you. The gospel is being held out to you. Lift up your chin. Let's pray. Father, I think there's a, a little more desperation in my spirit to share your gospel in a desperate fashion because we've got desperate people in the nation today. Politics is not going to save us. May they open themselves completely up to you. Even though they may not completely understand, may they trust and say, I want more, more and more of you. Show me yourself. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life. Be the Lord and master of my life and guide me from this day forward because now I understand I'm forgiven. 
I can put my past in the past and I can look forward, pressing on to a future that's filled with you even all the way through to eternity because those who trust Christ are given eternal life. And I pray that if, if there's anybody right now who has been saying those things and doing that, that you'll affirm them in a huge way, that they'll know that what they've just done is the most important thing they can possibly do forever. And may they share what they've done, this decision they've made with somebody that they know will give them affirmation and support. And may, may they dive into your word, read the gospels, read those red letters because there's life and love in the red letters, the, the words that Jesus spoke to us. May they know Jesus better. Thank you for all of us. May we share hope literally all the way around the world and may we each give to you that which you've given to us and may we give it unreservedly to recognize everyone and communicate hope. And I pray it in the powerful and authoritative life-transforming name of Jesus Christ. Amen.